Hi, I'm Phil Liggett, and you're listening to the Spokesman Podcast. Welcome to Episode 5 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. This show was recorded Tuesday, October 17, 2006. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is a combination of some of the best cycling podcasts on the internet. Each show will bring together some of the most famous voices in cycling for a lively discussion of the current cycling news. And now, here are the Spokesman. Welcome back to another episode of The Spokesman. Uh, we have sort of a small group today, but that's all right. We've got Tim Grawl from the Crooked Cog Network. Hi, Tim. How are you today? How you doing? Great. And we've got Carlton Reed from Cycling News and Reviews and Bike Biz. Hi, Carlton. Hi there. Good morning. Good. Well, good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, it's early here in Los Angeles, but it's, it's uh, afternoon there in, in Britain, so... Thanks, everybody, for joining us this morning. We had hoped to have a couple of our other spokesmen with us, but sometimes that doesn't work out. Well, let's get right into the news of the day and, and, and the topics at hand. Let's talk for a second about the fact that Floyd Landis is doing something kind of interesting. I think you guys have probably seen it. He's decided that he's going to post his defense or his, some documents related to his defense online for all the world to see. And I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes, of course, to that. Have you guys seen that? What, what do you think about what he's doing? Well, I think, um, I think it's interesting that he's circumventing his lawyers and everything else and just putting his thoughts on what happened out there. Um, I think he's just worried about what people think about him. Carlton, is that your sense? Do you think it's it's just a matter of of of, of ego in posting these these documents online, or do you think that maybe Floyd and his lawyers thought that Floyd was getting a bum rap in the media, that he was being uh, I don't know being convicted before the trial, and and he just wanted to put out his side of the story? I think it's multifaceted. Mm. The, there's definitely a bum rap. He's he's been maligned by the world's media uh, before the evidence was put out there. This is actually the first time that uh, some of the evidence has been put in front of people. So only now, really, should people be uh, making their minds up. Uh, forget the previous six months. Um, uh, it's also perhaps boredom. You know, he is sitting there at home, uh, and I believe his hometown isn't the most exciting in, in the world, I've been told. And uh, he's going to be interacting with people and, and trying to get them to tell him things that maybe his lawyers wouldn't tell him. Uh, I'm sure a lot of this must be lawyer-led, though. I mean, he, he can't be doing this without uh, the advice of his lawyers saying, yes, you can do this. I really hope, anyway. Well, but wasn't the story, though, that he was just, he was just uh, came upon the forums, his buddy had opened it up and left it open on his computer, and so he just started leaving his thoughts, too? Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, I got a, an email from a listener, and then I got an email from Carlton saying, hey, are you, did you know that, that Floyd is now posting his his thoughts on the Daily Peloton forums. And I thought, you can't be serious. It can't really be the actual Floyd. Um, I had a chance to do an interview with the, the gentleman who's the publisher of the Daily Peloton forums, a gentleman by the name of Vaughn Trevi. And we talked a bit about 
Floyd being on the forums, and it is indeed uh, Floyd. So let's give a listen to that, and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about this topic. And I'm talking to Vaughn Trevi. Vaughn is the publisher of DailyPeloton.com. Hi, Vaughn. How are you today? Good. Good. Thank you for, for joining us here on The Spokesman. wanted to talk to you briefly about the activity that's been going on on your website in regards to the whole Floyd Landis situation with the doping charges that resulted after the, the Tour de France. First of all, tell me a little bit about Daily Peloton itself, what it's all about, and then we can start talking about the forums. Well, Daily Peloton is a cycling news site, but it's also a um, it's an effort to have a community. Uh, we have writers all over the world to contribute. In fact, the uh, an owners group is actually a, a group of writers who started with the site about five six years ago, and a few others that we've added on since. And and so, tell me about the community aspect. What what was the the, the the thought behind starting the website and making it a community. How does that work? Because if you're doing news, how do you turn that into a community? I looked at the Internet as an opportunity to get a place where you could have a lot of interaction between the people that read about cycling and are interested in the sport. Mm -hmm. And with that, we have we established forums, message boards, and a chat room where people could get together and talk about what cycling is like in their country or why a German might like Lance Armstrong or an American like Jan Ulrich as his favorite rider. And uh, so it isn't just the news as much as it is having these other things that give us an opportunity to, to communicate with people around the world with the basic common interest that we have about riding and, and the sport. And of course, one of the one of the main things that, that a lot of the cycling community has been talking about since the Tour de France. Originally, it was Floyd Landis's victory, and then it became the allegations against Floyd for doping. Tell me a little bit about how Floyd got involved in your forums, and maybe what his motivation has been to talk to the public through your forums. Well, Floyd was on the uh, floor forum reading it, and a very good friend of his who's been on the forums for the last four or five years. Uh, he was at Floyd's house, and he left the Daily Peloton. You know, he left himself logged in. <laughs> and Floyd posted a few messages. Mm -hmm. Of course, the next time his friend went on the site, he found uh, some messages that he hadn't written on it, so he was wondering who, who it was. And... Uh, when he asked Floyd, Floyd said it was him. And he just told Floyd, well, tell you what, Floyd, why don't you sign up yourself if you want to answer questions? And he said, I'll do that. And Floyd had been reading the forums for, I guess, a couple of weeks before that, so he knew exactly what he was getting into. I mean, he'd seen the stuff where guys said he was guilty and other guys trying to defend him or figure out what was going on because up until the point Floyd actually released all of the information on his website, it really wasn't available to people. So what was going on is people were reading news reports, which essentially were rumors about what was in the papers and then trying to make up their mind. Because people were... Guys that are involved in the sport are really concerned about the doping. And it hits right on why they're fans. I and mean, we're fans because we admire what these guys do. If a guy's on dope, how can you admire him? 
I mean, what is it? Is it him or is it the dope? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, absolutely. So at any rate, Floyd got on, and uh, I I needed to confirm if it was Floyd or not, of mm-hmm. course, because I don't want people coming on saying they're Lance or Floyd or any other professional writer and not have it be them. It certainly strikes right at our credibility. And I was able to confirmed from his friend that it was him and the next day I went to the uh, track meet and Floyd had said that he was going to be at the track meet and I caught him and talked to him briefly and asked him why he came on and what he thought. And so and, what's what's been the reaction of the visitors to the website to, to Floyd being there? I mean, has he been getting flamed by the people who think that he's guilty or have people been fairly respectful of him and, and really joining in a dialogue with him? No, actually, the the response is surprisingly very, surprisingly very, very good. And uh, we have moderators on the forums, and we have rules, and they enforce the rules. But what is really interesting is that we had very little cause to enforce any of the rules when Floyd was in the discussions about Floyd or the doping. And, you know, Floyd's got a pretty thick skin, he knew what he was getting into, and even when he was challenged, uh, he was more than willing to confront the person and their questions and give them an answer if he could. So, and uh, I think that's about it. You know, I've I've noticed that that in Floyd's responses, he's been respectful at times. He's been um, quick to correct people at times, and other times his wit has definitely come out. And I think that that's, oh, yeah. you know, I think that's been enjoyable for people. Oh, yeah. Well, he's got a great sense of humor, and it really shows through. Sure. <laughs> some stuff has left me laughing, you know, for quite a while after he would come back to somebody on something. You know, one of the things that I wondered about was whether or not Floyd's legal team was consulting with him when he was writing some of his replies. Now, it doesn't seem like it, but you've got to think that there's a possibility that, hey, at some point in the future, anything that he says here could come back and bite him. Do you know whether or not Floyd is concerned about any of that? Have you had any discussions with him about that? No, I haven't talked to Floyd about that. But I don't think that it's a case that uh, he's running anything by anybody and doing answers. Um, I think his whole intention is to answer people's questions, but he's also expressed that that people can help him by looking at... um, the information that he's posted on the website and find things, find the, the things that would help him understand the charges. Now, I'm sure Floyd has his own experts, but on this, on the Daily Peloton forums, we have quite a brain trust, actually. We have uh, uh, scientists, chemists, uh, lawyers, judges, and any number of other people that that work in those areas, and they can, they've actually given advice or given their viewpoint of the way that would be the best way to approach this, or why certain metabolites. I can't follow all the chemistry. I'm not quite <laughs> up to that. <laughs> it's probably the one class in high in high school I just did miserably at. <clears throat> but these guys have broken it down, and and there's you know there's a lot of discussions of the tests. Uh, the criteria that are being used, uh, evidence, chain of evidence, et cetera. That's, mm-hmm. So what, what 
as he's tapped into and he he actually said that he appreciated appreciated anybody's help. In fact at one point he said that he would give them if they could figure out his defense so that he he could prove his innocence, he would give them his tour trophy. Hmm. So I mean I get the idea that they've got a defense, but they're looking at all the subtleties. So now he's got I don't know how many people working on this side trying to figure out on both sides of the coin what is valid about the test and what's invalid about the test. And some of the uh, discussions are, like I said, they're a bit much to follow unless you have a pretty strong science background. Yeah, I, no- I noticed that myself, and those are the ones I sort of skimmed through. But I, I have a question, and, and this is more sure. related for, for what, what you're doing. How has Floyd's participation in the forums affected the traffic on the site? Uh, our traffic is this interesting question because I had it asked by somebody else recently. Uh, our message board forum during the Tour de France uh, got over a million page views. Hmm. Okay. Now, we're not getting quite as many. It, it, it actually increased uh, registrations. They almost doubled. It's pretty respectable. And yeah, and the ratio of readers that are not registered to registered members is eight to ten uh, non-members reading. Hmm. So, I, our registrations are up. The uh, views of the topics are up. But you know, toward this time of year, things tend to slow down. You have less discussion, and then it starts building up again as we get into transfer season and. Uh, what teams are being built, and guys start, you know, debating which team will be stronger in spring or whatever. So. Right, right. For the Our, listeners, would you? Why don't you tell the listeners where they can find your website and uh, how they can participate in the discussions there? The website is www.dailypeloton. Peloton is P-E-L-O-T-O-N. dot com. And the forums, if you'll click on the left button. On the site, it says New DP Forums, and you can you can go there and read the forum, or you can register there to join the forum. Uh, when you register in the forum, you get certain services that you can use. You can send personal messages to other members. Uh, it opens up some other things, so you can look up members' profiles and uh, you know other little whistles and bells for you if you do. But either way, you can, and you'll be able to post. You can, if you just don't register, you can read anything that's there. Right, and and of course, yeah. if you're looking for for Floyd's postings, uh, you can do a search by member name, and it's pretty simple to remember. He's posting under the name Floyd. Yeah, and there is one other thing. We will probably set up a <clears throat> topic of all of Floyd's and gather all the. Floyd case information because there's about I think eight eight or nine threads right now and they all have tremendous information and we'll put it all together so it's easier for people to look at and comment on. And and Vaughn, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today and wish you a lot of luck with, with the site in the future. Thank you, and you have a nice day, yeah. Thanks a lot. You bet. Yeah, so that was interesting. There's there's Vaughn telling us how Floyd came to the forums and and the fact that it really is Floyd. And I found it interesting that, that one of the reasons that Floyd came to the forums was because he wanted to find other people to help him mount a defense. I thought that that was kind of an interesting perspective 
but beyond that, I still say he's got to be awfully careful on there because, as Tim said earlier, you know, are his lawyers really aware of the fact that he's doing this? I, I just wonder, one wrong phrase, one phrase that a lawyer can get their hands on and they could hang him with it later. So I, I don't know. What do you guys think about all that? Oh, he's such a tease. If you actually, I mean, there's there's now 700 posts, so it, it really, really takes you days to, to wander through all this. But he, he's not coming out with anything that's not already on, on his website in, in Revelations. It's very much commentary. And he comes in with some fantastic one-liners. You know, the scientists do 15 uh, paragraphs on this intense science, which your eyes uh, boggle on, on, on what they're talking about. I'm sure that somebody knows, but uh, these guys are off in a world of their own. And then he comes in with this fantastic one-liner, which just stops it dead and uh, gives you a laugh. So I think it's more a case of him being, his, his, his humor's really shining through on a lot of the posts. Sometimes he's tetchy, but he's posting at these weird times, you know, at, at very late at night, very early in the morning. It must be something to do with uh, he wants to get all this out there, get the Wikipedia defense, but is also spending far too much time on there at the same time. But, you know, I kind of agree with Tim because Tim said earlier, is this all ego? Is it just that he's worried about what people think of him? I have to tell you that I, I understand that he's trying to, to sort of get more free expert opinion. And he's certainly getting it because you're right. Some of those posts, my eyes glaze over. I fall asleep. I, chemistry and biology were not my best uh, subjects in school, especially in college. But then the ego thing comes out. I, I, I think I saw some posts on there where, where he was getting a little bit touchy about the fact that he felt that people had really convicted him before they had seen his evidence. And so I think that he's very concerned, as I suppose to some extent we all might be, that you know people think that he did something that he adamantly says that he didn't do. Um, and I think that that's definitely figuring into this. Right. I mean, if you look at, if I think of it, if it were, if it were me, you know, he's just a regular guy. It's not like he's this, I mean, he is a celebrity and, you know, cycling and everything, but he, all in all, he's just a regular guy. And if you're picking up newspapers and turn on the TV and seeing everybody just, just kill your name and you didn't do anything wrong, I think if you had a chance to try to put your name right among the among your biggest fans, I would do it too because, you know, that's really what most people care about. Sure, he's got lawyers to worry about and, you know, whether or not this, you know, he's going to get in trouble in the future and that kind of thing. But I think most people are more worried about just what people think about them and, you know, and also if he can get public opinion back on his side, that's not going to hurt him in a court case either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It, it it is very much a, a PR exercise, and I don't think there's any any problem with that. He, he has had an enormous amount of bad press. So here he is trying to get a little bit of uh, good press out there. I've got to say he, he gets a lot more good press in America, uh, as you could well imagine, than, say, here in the UK and obviously in France. Uh, just about everywhere else apart from the USA, this is a, a, a dead story. The, he's been convicted in the, the public's eyes. He's, he's been hanged. Why are we talking about him? In America, there seems to be uh, lingering hopes that uh, this can be resurrected and he, he does have a chance. And it's, it's just a non-story across here, sadly, because uh, if the guy is totally innocent of uh, everything he's been 
um, accused of, then what a travesty of justice. And uh, we shouldn't stand for that. Well, I mean, we shouldn't that, just ignore this. Isn't that what happened with Basso? But everybody said, oh, well, you know, uh, although there wasn't as much, there wasn't evidence against Basso as there was, as there is against Floyd. But people had almost written him off as well. And now all of a sudden, um, that's completely dismissed and he is um, free to join the Pro Tour again. And so, well, yeah, go ahead. But, well, some, some people will say that's on a technicality mm. because the, the Operation Puerto it, it won't really kick off again until next year. So all the, the Spanish guys are saying is this is in suspension. You can't actually kick these guys off because we're not carrying on the investigation until we have a lot more uh, evidence to, to work with. So we'll come back to you next year. And the UCI and all the other bodies are saying, well, this is crazy because, in effect, the guy is still uh, under suspicion, but there's nothing we, we can do about it. So that's, that's a, a, a technical reason why Basso, who may also be uh, totally innocent, but that's a technical reason why he could come back. Whereas with, uh, with Floyd, his worst case scenario is obviously if he gets convicted, but it must also be if he gets off on a technicality. If a, if a, a lawyer, his lawyer, Howard Jacobs, gets him off on some weasel words, you know, some procedural thing, then he gets crucified in public opinion anyway. Mm. So I think what Floyd wants, he wants to get off and show the world that no, this was faulty and it's faulty on many different levels and wake the, the anti-doping world up to say you can't just accuse athletes uh, on such shaky information and, and, and I'm not the first, I won't be the last, we need to shake this, this, this whole scene up because it, there are faults. Well, did you guys have a chance to look through some of the documents that Floyd posted online? Now, granted, one of them is a, is a very large zip file, and it contains mostly documents in French, which I don't speak, although I can certainly, in France, ask where the bathroom is and order a beer. But um, I certainly don't speak technical French. There was also a PowerPoint file in there and uh, also a, a legal brief. Did you guys have a chance to, to read through those, and what do you think about those? The, the Arnie Baker stuff, the PowerPoint presentation, is persuasive, but I'm not a scientist. I can be persuaded by anybody who comes along and says, this science is faulty, this science is right. So what Floyd is trying to do by pushing this out here for the Wikipedia defense is to get all these scientists together arguing and then come out with a consensus, because all we have at the moment is one bunch of French scientists, wider accredited lab, say one thing, and that's the 370 page, it's called the LDP, the Laboratory Documentation Package. And then you've got uh, Floyd's side, who's coming up with another bunch of science to say the, the, the LDP stuff is, is faulty. So Floyd is putting it out there into the public domain, so all these other experts can suddenly chime in. And the most recent posts are all extremely technical, but are now going on the calibration results of the isotope ratio, carbon isotope ratio uh, equipment. And they're, they're, they're picking out flaws in the way that the, the French lab technicians recalibrated uh, their measuring devices. Now, if, if enough people are out there can read all of these incredibly boring manuals of carbon isotope measuring <laughs> machines, whatever they are, then uh, this is incredible evidence. And it, it'll be an example of... Uh, the internet being used to to scour uh, people's brains around the world to to bring up fresh information and that, that's information that Howard Jacobs and his 
legal team can never hope to bring to bear. You can't employ 500 scientists, but if you go on a, on a website, say you're innocent, can you prove so? You'll get a whole bunch of people using their own egos, perhaps, to say, aha, I know that uh, Floyd didn't do because look, these uh, naughty Frenchies hmm. have uh, not uh, cleaned their machine properly. And some of that is mud, clearly. Uh, some of it uh, might also be uh, technically the truth. What about, just let's talk for a second about, about what we ask these cyclists to do. Because as Tim said earlier, Floyd's a regular guy. They, he's a regular guy who has trained his tail off and has gotten to the pinnacle of his profession. But as I spoke with a, a coach recently who said to me, listen, what we're asking these cyclists to do in these grand tours, to go three weeks for 200 miles a day, some, sometimes every single day at top speed, uh, in, just as fast as they can go, our bodies really weren't made for that. And so if there is doping going on in some way, and I'm not making an excuse, I'm just, this is what the guy said, in some way maybe it's, it's understandable because it's the only way these guys can get their bodies through that kind of an event. I mean, let's face it, our bodies aren't made for this. Tim, what do you think about that? Well, I don't know. I mean, the whole doping thing, to me that's a weak argument when it comes to saying, well, you know, their body needs a little help. If that's the case, the races don't need to be that hard or somebody will still win. It's amazing what the human body can do. And, I mean, it comes down to the rules. If the race is this long and doping's not allowed, then abide by the rules if you're going to do the race. I mean, just saying that, well, they need a little help to get that far, to me is ridiculous because it's you have to abide by the rules in the race otherwise um otherwise it's not really a race it's just kind of everybody riding and doing whatever they want to get to the end and by the way that's that's what i've been saying on my show from from day 1 and i've gotten a ton of flack about it because you know people think that i'm being idealistic and saying if there's a rule you need to follow it um i don't i don't think that's idealism but i i think that it, it, i agree with you it's a weak argument. If there is a rule, you follow it. If you don't like the rules, well, then you work within the system to change the rules. But artificially enhancing your body in order to be able to do a race that people have been doing for 100 plus years, I don't know that that's, that that's the right way to go. There were some right. great mean, jokes from Floyd in, in, in all his postings where Tom Boonen was saying that uh, we should make these shorter. And Floyd came on and said, oh, he's a big baby. Uh, he's a he's a sprinter, you know. <laughs> where where the guys that do these events and and we're not going to listen to those sprinters, and it, it was at this point when people think, is this the real Floyd Landers here? Because these are killer one-liners. He's coming up about fellow riders, mm. and on on that point about you know endurance. But if if you look at uh, going slightly off topic, if you look at um, Dr. Alan Lim's. Um, evidence that uh, he put on the the, the Saras uh, website. He was showing that uh, Floyd's victory, for instance, in stage 17, which is this, the stage in question, it wasn't down to his amazing uh, climbing prowess. It was all down to his descending. All of the time gains he put on uh, his uh, his fellow racers in, in that particular stage, he got all his time on his descents. 
Didn't so, I also see something in that evidence that, that, that said that one of the advantages that he had was that because he was so far ahead at a certain point that he was able to get more water bottles from his team car and therefore able to dump more water on his head, keep his body cooler, and therefore be able to, to perform better? Absolutely. He was the only person who had a team car with him. If you listen to, I'm, I'm very sad here, but I listened and watched um, the, the, the Stage 17 yesterday and if you, when you hear Phil Liggett's commentary when uh, F um, Floyd is finishing the stage, Phil is going on and on about how Floyd has dumped loads of water over himself. Mm -hmm. He drank loads and he dumped loads over himself. He got his body core temperature way down. He was the most comfortable man in the pack. And what also Dr. T Lim said was he didn't do an amazing ride. All his uh, wattage outputs for that stage or what he does in training. Hmm. The other guys made all these critical errors, made him look fantastic. Yes, it was a fantastic ride, but it was all, all the time gains, most of the time gains were, were gained on the descents. And he just kept away from the, from the, the pack on the, on the ascents. So, tactically, Floyd did a blinding ride, and the guys behind him did an awful ride. And for anybody to say, well, he stuck on a man juice patch. That's why he went quicker. That it's just not possible. Testosterone does not make you go downhill faster. Yeah, it was Floyd's day. Hey, speaking of Phil Liggett, I have to uh, interject it a bit of thanks to Carlton because that introduction that you all heard at the beginning of the show from Phil Liggett, we have Carlton Reed to thank for that. So Carlton, thanks for sending that. That was that, thanks for getting it. We appreciate it. That's fine. It was at the London Cycle Show, and uh, I just grabbed. Um, Phil, when there was a, a lull in the, the very loud music you get at uh, consumer bicycle shows, and he was happy to do it. Yeah, it was great. Now, could you get me one for the Fredcast, please? <laughs> <laughs> I remember that afterwards. I do apologize. And Tim needs one also, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll get him a Gary Fisher one for him. Yeah, there you go. Hey, hey well, hey, I, I got go to hang out with Gary Fisher, so I could probably get mm -hmm. my own. Yeah, well, <laughs> where's the intro to the spokesman, man? Oh, yeah, sorry. I wasn't thinking of you guys. <laughs> I've, I've set the bar high here, haven't I? We've all got to go out and get people. It'll be President Bush next. First to get President Bush. <laughs> well, he is a cyclist after all. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So while we're talking about doping and, and whether or not guys can go the distance, whether they need the juice to go the distance, yeah, Tim, i got to ask you because one of your fortes is endurance racing and the 24-hour races, and... As far as I can tell, this doping really has never been an issue when it comes to mountain biking. I know way back when in the Stone Age when I was dealing with guys like John Tomac and Tinker Juarez, doping wasn't even on our horizon. It wasn't something we talked about. Is this something that gets talked about in the 24-hour race circuit? Does this ever come up? Not that I see. And honestly, I think the big player is money. If you look at road cycling compared to uh, mountain biking, especially endurance racing, which isn't even UCI governed, there's not near as much money, so the pressure to perform is much, much lower. You don't have huge companies throwing lots and lots of money at a racer and expecting results. You see um, smaller companies, um, a lot of times, some of even the, the, the better endurance racers they only they only get equipment, so they don't even get cash to race. So, I think the point is is that there's just not as much money, so not as much pressure. I think if you ever see that amount of money being dumped into endurance racing, I think you'll start seeing the same kind of doping problems, because you'll have people that have so much more pressure to compete and to win 
or right now, it there's not there's not that huge pressure to win an endurance race. A lot of the people that do endurance races do it more for the respect and just to, you know for themselves than for the money. So in in a way, it's a bit like guys doing double centuries. They do it because uh, then they can say that they did, and they feel it helps them feel good about themselves and about their athletic accomplishments. It's something else to shoot for. So how does somebody do it? How does somebody do a 24 hour race and not keel over at about my, you know, hour 19 or something? Well, I would keel over at about hour, uh, hour three and a half. So, <laughs> but I don't know. I've, um, a good buddy of mine is Jeff Kirkhove and, uh, he's an endurance racer as well. And then, um, I just met Nat Ross at Interbike and was talking to him some and, Honestly, across the board, it's all comes comes down to mental. I mean, everybody that races long periods of time will say that there's a point where you just want to quit and lay down and die, and then you push past that point, and then you feel like you can ride forever. And even talking to Carl Etzel from Ride Four Two Four, he said he says the the same basic thing where you know yes, your body does have to be in good shape, and you do need to be able to stay on a bike, but in endurance mountain bike racing it comes down more to your mental toughness than your actual physical toughness of being able to ride that long so i don't know i'm i don't ever plan to do a 24-hour solo race uh but um you know kudos to the guys that can handle that i've done one you have right yeah you get grannies overtaking you and you don't mind because <laughs> you're on a 24-hour um, event you're just doing it at your own pace and you don't care who's coming past you that's when you're on a, a, a normal race somebody comes past you and you get all anxious and you want to get past them and you get nervous on a 24-hour race it's just it's your own race and, and you it, see you, you just you see this is, this is why i would back. die sorry this is why i would die in a 24-hour race because when somebody passes me even when i'm out on a recovery ride, <laughs> you know, I, I put the hammer down. And so I, I would die in one of these races if a granny passed me. <laughs> well, see, and that goes back to what we were just talking about. Most endurance races, people are in them to have fun or to, even when they're in it to win, they're not going to win huge cash prizes. Yeah. And their sponsors aren't going to give them huge bonuses. So, I mean, there's just no pressure. And again, you know, I've been to, uh, some um, one of the Granny Gear events, and then um, some other of the longer races, and most people are there just to have fun. It's usually teams where you're just there to do the race and enjoy being around other people, and that's why you don't see any doping problems because there's no reason to dope. So how do they how do they deal with it then? You know, when when the weather gets bad, I mean, it's snow, rain, whatever. That would I I think I'd stop. How does how do they deal with that? Well, the, that's standard ride conditions in the UK. You're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Moab was just canceled this past weekend uh, because of weather, and uh, I guess the trail was just completely getting washed out on some of the dropouts, and um, it just got extremely dangerous. And so they called the race, and they don't, I don't know if they've decided a winner yet, but last I heard was uh, they were still arguing over how they were going to decide a winner. So they didn't even have a backup plan for if the race ever got canceled. So they were in the middle of the race. And how far had they gotten before they decided to stop it? I know they they stopped it at 8 p.m., so I'm not sure when they started the race, but probably about halfway through. Wow. So, and, and, and so, they, and so they, they, they didn't have any arrangements to figure out who the winner was if they had to stop it in the middle? No. they. Um, uh, I heard one that 
they were trying to decide between whether or not who got the last lap or when they called it, who was ahead, um, and that would have decided because the last lap, one of the leaders had um, had a lot of technical difficulties, so he was behind. But then, if they called when they called it, whoever was ahead, he um, he was ahead of Nat Ross by uh, just a split second, I think. So, but again, you know, there's a whole strategy in racing a 24-hour event. You're not sprinting to win halfway through the race, so it's hard to call it um, and have an outcome. There's no way you're going to have an outcome where everybody's happy with it. And even if they wait a couple of days and then finish the race, it's still it's not a 24-hour solo race at that point. Mm. So. Um, Basically, I don't, uh, you know, my knee-jerk reaction is they should have something set up where uh, if this happens, they they have something to fall back on. But I can't even think of what that should be. Wow. Cleanest bike. What was that? Cleanest bike. Cleanest bike. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or you, you, you two guys, very muddy. Sorry, this guy wins. There you go. <laughs> that might well, work. Maybe they should just make him ditch the bikes and run the course for the, for the, <laughs> the hours after. You know? That would be a little safer, and then you could still see who wins. Now, you see, if Jeremy was here, he's the triathlon guy, so I'm <laughs> sure he'd go for that. Right, absolutely. Hey, you know, while we're talking about bad weather and, and, and you know, canceling races as a result, you know, here in the northern hemisphere, at least, uh, fall is here. I know here in L.A. it's been, well, for L.A., it's been cold. <laughs> you know, it's been in the 60s. It's been dreary <laughs> and, uh, and a little wet over the last couple of days, and, and I know everybody's starting to think about the fall season and and winter coming up and and how they're going to stay in shape and keep training. You guys have any tips for the listeners out there when it comes to fall and winter cycling? And by the way, let's not forget our our listeners, you know, in the southern hemisphere, whether they're in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, or wherever, because they're coming into spring and summer. So I don't know if we want to give them some tips as well. But let's talk a little bit about cold weather cycling. Any tips, um, Carlton, that you might want to give somebody? You know, I, I really don't want to be guilty of uh, bringing in another Castelli lightweight jersey thing, but you know, City, <laughs> City have got these new shoes that that you see them at Interbike, maybe, with uh, the heated insoles. Oh, you know, like you know, you know the twenty-four hour uh, battery packs for for lights. You do the same thing on your shoes. Where do you put the battery? You you, you plug your shoes in. Well, it just it's rechargeable, so you you. You just plug it into the mains, and then it heats the sole up, and then I guess you've got two, three hours worth of, of, of nice heat on your on your insoles. That is really cool. I like that a lot. I, I want a pair of them. Yeah. I get cold feet, so... How much do those run? Did you see a price on them? Uh, I, I didn't see a price, but they're going to be two, three hundred dollars, aren't they? It's worth it. I mean, how much are city shoes? How much are city shoes normally? I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, they're not, they're not uh, cheap. No. I mean, they're going to be top end, so these could be top end of the top end. But uh, it's going to solve a lot of people's problems for for getting out in the winter. I think. You know, I did a I did a ride last year. It's it's a pretty p- famous ride, at least in in the states, the Solvang Century, and got about fifteen miles into it when the rain started, and then maybe a couple miles later, the thunder and lightning began, and then the wind, and then the hail, and then the snow. Now again, this is in central california southern central california we're not used to those kinds of conditions um and i'm not one i've 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 always finished every century i've ever started until this one because i was freezing one of my biggest problems was my feet so that would have been really cool mm. Mm. Well, I've read my, last, my last century mind I, I can't well, see them lasting too long yeah 
Go ahead, well, I've read where clipless pedals can be a problem just because you have that metal cleat that's exposed that pulls that cold right up into the bottom of your foot. Yeah, and and not just that. I mean, you, you think about it. There's there's holes in your shoes because of your clipless pedals, and so water and snow and and cold come right up through your cleats. You're absolutely right. So so maybe maybe fall and winter cycling might be time to bring out the toe clips again. Right. That's what I would think. And plus, um, you start getting into a lot of snow, uh, and you're just going to uh, muck up your cle- your uh, pedals anyway. Right. Well, I, you know, listen, I'm, I, I'm a Southern California kid. I've, I've lived here my entire life. Do people actually ride in the snow? Oh, I ride in the snow. <laughs> Do you? I've got... Yeah, absolutely. Well, and... I've got... Go ahead. Go ahead, Carl. Sorry, I, I've, I've got snow tires, so I, I bring them out when the, the snow and the ice are there. I've got special mountain bike tires with, with carbide studs on. Yep, I so do I look too, forward though. to it. Mm. I have some from Kenda that are the same way. And when I first got them, I went out and there was a sheet of ice on the road. And I went out on my normal tires and hit the brakes and just skidded out and fell off my bike. Went and put those on, and it felt like the ice wasn't even on the road. Mm. It had... Uh, complete traction with those metal studs in it. I feel really guilty though because I take my kids to school in the snow and the ice and I'm fantastic. I'm stable. My poor kids are all over the place. <laughs> so uh, I need I need if anybody's listening out there who does tires with carbide studs in for kids, I need some. <laughs> Real good. Okay, now I, I just have to tell you I'm feeling like a humongous wimp here because you know it gets below about fifty five degrees and I pull out the trainer. You know, and I'm I'm <laughs> So, you know, I'm sitting in front of my TV watching Spinnervals or something and uh and 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 working on the trainer. And so one of my winter riding tips was <laughs> ride go on your trainer. Yeah, was was when you're on your trainer, make sure that you have a good fan because I I don't know about you, I'm a, I sweat a lot and if if I don't have a fan, the 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 floor underneath my my bike when I'm on my trainer you know, it looks like a swimming pool, as gross as that sounds. So have a good fan pointed at you when you're on your trainer. But I don't know, I'm feeling like, I'm feeling really uh, uh, inadequate now listening to you guys riding in the snow. Well, it's funny. Um, I'm, I was a big snow skier. And so I had all this, and I didn't have any of the real streamlined snow gear. So the first time I went riding in the snow, like I had all my skiing gear on. I had big bulky clothes and I'm out on the out on the trail and it's funny because it's just a totally different thing because skiing is such short intervals Mm -hmm. that you heat up and then get cold and then heat up and get cold and so it's not that big a deal to have bulky clothes on but when you're cycling you'll get so hot so fast and then there's no respite where you just stop you know to take a ski lift or anything like that and so I found that I've started wearing less clothes when I ride because and starting out a little cold and then just um, heating up the more I ride. And, and that's funny. I, I used to be a, a snow skier also, and I didn't mind wearing the bulky clothes because I wasn't sweating the way that I do when I, when I ride. Um, so I, but I wouldn't even think of wearing anything bulky when I get on my bike, if it's if it's cold outside, I think that was one of the problems. I, one of the reasons I had a problem on the Solving Century, because like you, I figured, oh, I'll be a little bit chilly when I first start out, and as long as I don't wait too long at a rest stop and stand around and, and cool down, I'm going to be warm. But it was it was the snow and the and the the rain 
I think that did me in more than the cold because the wetness absolutely yeah. makes you colder. Right. Well, and two, when you're riding in the snow or in the cold, you don't want to wear cotton next to your skin. Right. Because it'll just soak up the perspiration and hold it there, and that's when you'll get cold. So you want to wear like wicking materials that'll pull that moisture out to the outer layer. And that way, and what's funny is you'll peel off the whatever, like if you have a cotton shirt over your wicking, it'll be soaking wet with your sweat, but your skin will be dry. Right. And that's what'll keep you warm too. Well, okay, so we talked about clothes. Let's talk a little bit about getting your your bike ready for colder, wetter weather. What do you guys do to make sure that your your bike is protected against the elements? I just you know, clean it really I've, good I've... afterwards. <laughs> that makes sense. Carlton, you do do you do anything special when it comes to to winter and fall riding? I am the worst person perhaps in the world at looking after bikes. So no, I just I just maybe lube them if mm-hmm. if they're lucky. But I've got lots of bikes, unfortunately. So so if one gets mucky, unfortunately, another one out. Yeah, you know it's funny, Tim. You said that. I was just thinking, all of our <laughs> listeners, every one of our listeners just groaned. Oh, what a what a poor guy. He unfortunately has lots of bikes. I'm, I'm talking from my wife's point of view. <laughs> you know, she, we we have a double garage, and there's no way you can get a, a car in there. It's just packed with bikes. So. Yeah, it's an awful problem. Way to too many bikes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we feel for you, Carlton. I, I can hear. <laughs> so no, I mean I think that that's that that's good advice. Uh, absolutely, you're going to want to clean your bike way more often when it comes to fall and winter cycling, and you're going to want to lube it more. And one of the reasons, of course, for cleaning it more often, besides the the moisture, is that in a lot of places they're they're salting the roads or they're or they're putting other chemicals down in the roads to prevent ice from forming, and those chemicals that prevent the ice from forming are really corrosive and can really wreak havoc on your bike frame, on, on your components and your parts. And so, yeah, you, you need to clean your bike a lot more often. And when you're cleaning it that often, yeah, you need to lube it. Make sure that you've got uh, a lot of grease wh- where you need a lot of grease and and do all of those things in order to make sure that, that your bike will survive. Would you not just have a winter bike? Well, that's, that's, it's a good it's time been... to switch to single speed or fixed gear too. You don't have as many moving parts. Yeah, that's a good point. And sure, a, a winter bike. I mean, if you've got a bike that's a little bit more of a beater bike, because mm. perhaps maybe you're not doing as much training, it's your off-season, um, yeah, it's a great time to have have a bike that is specifically for this time of year. It's set up for it. So you've got two seasons there. We, we, we have 10 seasons per day uh, across <laughs> in Europe. So it's very, very common to have a winter bike and a going out on nice days bike. Hmm. Now here in here in Southern California we have one season primarily. <laughs> so I, sorry, one season too many. I gave you that. <laughs> yeah, it's smoggy all year long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, let me ask you guys a question. Just moving moving on from this, I, I don't know if you listen to my shows from Interbike, but I, I spent some time talking to a couple of people who make GPS devices for cyclists, whether it's uh, Garmin with their their Edge and Forerunner units and 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 motion based online. Um, or I talked to the guys at Motion Lingo about their Adeo unit, which is a, a GPS sort of similar. Um, it's similar to the Nike iPod system, but it's way better because it's actually a GPS instead of a, a pedometer. So it's something you can use cycling, and I've, I've been testing it out. Do you think that the, that the conventional cycle computer is dead? Do you think that the people are, are maybe 
going to be going to these sorts of systems more and more and getting away from just one that uses a magnet on the wheel? What do you think about that, Tim? Yeah, I think um, I'm always a fan of uh, new technology taking over, so I like the idea of uh, GPS. Um, I think it can do everything a cycling computer can do um, and more. But uh, right now, I just think they're extremely expensive. Um, mm-hmm. You can get a decent cycling computer for under 100 bucks, and you can't get a decent GPS system for under 100 bucks that you know has the same functionality. So I think right now, um, a lot of people grow and stick with their normal cycling computers just because it's affordable. But as the price comes down on GPS, I'm sure that'll, that'll pretty much take over as the standard. You agree, Carlton? I, for sure, the, the the people who are going to get into this first are the the, the techno dweebs like uh, like me and you, David. Um, I, I like them. I mean, they they are coming down in price uh, from just a couple of years ago, and they're coming down in size amazingly fast, and and still are as functional and as 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 good looking as before. Um, I, I like the way they marry to things like motion based, so you can upload your rides, you can upload all your heart information, you can share that with buddies, or you can you can go and get rides that other people have done. That, that, that Motion-based weren't that uh, uh, European-friendly uh, a couple of years ago when I first saw them, but now with Google Maps, they don't need to have uh, Ordnance Survey maps of the UK and all the different European maps. They just go in one system that works in America and, uh, and works here. So the, the marriage of the Internet and these uh, handlebar devices is a, is a marriage made in heaven, which is, is just unbelievably sexy for, for, for people like us who want to, to track all our rides. And one of the cool things, you and I were talking about this yesterday, Carlton, is that not only has motion base become more Euro-friendly, but it's also Mac-friendly. Uh, there are those of us like, like me and Carlton who are Mac people, and we're using our Macs 90% of the time, at least I am. And, you know, the only time I ever use a PC is when I reboot my, my Intel Mac into, into boot camp and I'm running Windows there. And I don't want to have to reboot just to use my GPS device and, and to upload the information. Well, motion-based is Mac compatible if you use the, the Safari web browser. And then I got an email the other day from the gentleman who's the developer of a piece of software called iSmart Train which is specifically for Macintosh and allows you to take the, the data from your Polar unit and put it right into your, your Mac. So I think that that, well, that he, has made he, these he, things accessible too. Yeah, he's British, isn't he? He's, uh, he's from across here. He's been going a couple of years, and he, he keeps emailing me with his, his latest uh, updates. So yeah, anybody who does stuff for Mac he instantly gets my, my vote of approval. With, with, with um, GPS devices, they have been so PC-based... And it's been infuriating that you can't download all these things that uh, lucky PC users could do. So now that uh, we're getting parity there, that's fantastic. And I spoke with, with the, the, one of the guys who actually started Motion Based. I talked to him at, at Interbike, and he, he promised me that Garmin would, because now Motion Based is part of Garmin, in case you didn't know, but he promised me that Garmin's training center software would absolutely positively be available for the Mac by Macworld in January. So, so that's good news also. One problem, though, that I have with completely replacing my cycle computer on my handlebars is the fact that, well, initially, I, I had a Garmin 4Runner. It was actually a gift that I got from my, my wife and kids for my birthday a few years ago. And it was great but it didn't have cadence information. And so I still had my cycle computer for cadence. And then the Garmin Edge came out. And that was great because now I could get my heart rate. I could get 
all my normal cycle computer data and I could get my cadence right there on my handlebars and then of course upload it to my computer and do all that cool geek stuff that we like to do. But now it doesn't have power. And so there's, it seems like there's always one more thing that makes me have a cycle computer still on my handlebars. You guys think that there will eventually be total convergence when it comes to this stuff? Oh, absolutely. They'll eventually just put them all together in one thing and make it affordable and everybody will have one. So, you know, everything's just getting smaller and easier to do when it comes to that kind of stuff. So eventually they'll, they'll, you'll be able to track everything. I was kind of surprised that, you know, you were talking about the iPod device uh, the, with, with Nike. That, that was launched with Lance Armstrong. Mm -hmm. So when I first did the, the, the story on, uh, on that device on, on my site, bitebiz.com, I instantly said, well, if Lance Armstrong is doing this, surely there must be some sort of product in the wings that uh, iPod, Apple are doing uh, for cyclists. It hasn't appeared yet, but... Uh, if Lance is, is promoting it, I know he's doing a, a marathon he's, and he's, he's running now, but uh, surely he must be telling them, look, there's a, there's a big market out there for producing something similar for, for cyclists. I had the same thought, and it's exactly the same thing I said on my show when it came out. Um, now, but as far as, as Lance running, let's remember that, that he, he entered cycling through the triathlon world. So true, he, yeah. you know, he was triath he was doing triathlons before he he became a a, a, a real true road cyclist. The, the I think the problem though with Nike doing something like that, it listen, it's easy to relatively easy to do for running because really it's just a, a pedometer that speaks to you through your iPod and pedometer technology has been around for a long time. Certainly they should you would expect that they'll do it for cycling because they make cycling shoes and, and Lance is one of their spokespeople. But there, now you've got to start talking about um, tracking, perhaps, cadence. So now that you've got to have another sensor on the bike. And perhaps you're going to, going to want to track the speed so there's another sensor on the bike. So it certainly isn't going to be quite as affordable as the Nike iPod system is now for runners. The nice thing about the system that I'm testing right now is that it does go through your iPod so that you're not having, or any other MP3 device, so you're not looking down at your handlebars to get the data. And because it's GPS-based, there's really no other sensor that you need, except perhaps because it doesn't do cadence, you might want that at some point in the future. But there's really no other sensor you need because it's, it's tracking your speed and your distance and your elevation from the satellites. And so I think that... that, that it's going to be interesting if Nike does it at what price point it will be when they finally release it. Yeah, I don't think it would be a killer app. <clears throat> I think it would just bring more people into the whole field. I think there are going to be better things out there that are, that are all keyed into this, this market. But just the fact that uh, they've done, would perhaps do such a thing, would, would open the, the whole market to all these other players. Yeah, you'd think so. Hey, I have one more question for you, Carlton, before we go, because we're running a little bit long, and that is, any news on our friends in the royal family and their taking their children to school? Anything going on on that front? My good friend, Lord Lindley, has seen sense. <laughs> <laughs> he tells me. No, it's all over the newspapers. He's... Um, he has uh, relented. I think he's been getting uh, a lot of nagging from his wife, who has said, if you're going to be doing crazy things, at least do it with the right product. Uh, so he's bought himself a 500-pound, what, is that going to be a 700 $800, mm -hmm. um, very, very traditional 
English bicycle called uh, a Pashley, I believe it's the Pashley Sovereign, and that's got a very, very nice child seat on the back, so his daughter, four-year-old daughter, will be able to get to school in comfort from now on. Oh, excellent. We're so pleased. And I love the name of the bike. It's the Sovereign, and he's in the, in the royal family. I like that. Mm. It's kind of an interesting turn there. Listen, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time and, and for, for all of your opinions and, and for participating in the show. Uh, Tim, why don't you tell us where the listeners can find you and find your show? You can find me at crookedcog.com. That's my network of blogs and podcasts. And the podcast is the Crooked Cog Podcast at the crookedcogpodcast.com. Excellent. And Carlton, how about you and all the various places people can find you? Well, right now I'm, I'm finishing off my print magazine. Uh, so I'm probably not updating my website, which is bikeboys.com, very often. In fact, I know I'm not, because I've still got a quite dated uh, Floyd Lander story on, on there. Um, but uh, my my Notice podcasts can be found. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I used a term from from Daily Peloton as well, rooster, roostering. So uh, that that should really be updated with some more stories. But hey, when I've got a print mag, that's what I've got to do. Deadlines are deadlines. Uh, but that, yeah. Phew. Tell me about it. But the, the podcast is at uh, Cycling News and Views, at uh, iTunes and all those other places where you, you get podcasts. And YouTube as well, I noticed. Yeah, I put some of them out there. Some of the ones that I think would uh, have interest where people who are not just going to get podcasts with uh, podcast software. So the Dick Pound interview I did, um, where he's very nice and, uh, and pleasant, which makes a lovely change for him. And uh, the Phil Liggett uh, and his views on Floyd Landers from a, a couple of months ago that was that was YouTubed. Excellent. And I'm, uh, I'm still recovering from the commercial you did a long time ago, uh, the one where the guy comes home and finds all the clothes uh, going up the stairs. Yeah. yeah, wasn't that fantastic? Yeah, that that was a viral advert. That was just stunning. I'll have to put a link to that in the show notes. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm David. I'm from the Fredcast. You can find my show at thefredcast.com. And any, any comments or, or, or input about the show, please email me. And the email address is thefredcast at gmail.com. Gentlemen, thank you once again. Appreciate you being here. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, get out there and ride.